Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We're glad to introduce to our program, District Attorney Elizabeth Hertz. Beth, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you here. We want to, uh, we're a family show, we say. We like to get origin stories. Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And how'd you come up? I grew up in Faulkner, New York, okay. small town in Chautauqua County. And when I graduated, I did a year at our Jamestown Community College. And after that, I went to Grove City College. Oh, Grove wow. City, okay. PA, sure. And had a great experience there. Loved mm -hmm. the small town. Yes. Um, and then I went to law school in Ohio Northern, in Ada, Ohio. So definite small town yeah, college boy. as well as law school. <laughs> Grew up in a small town, kept that going. This is not a, this is not a pit law experience no, here, right? No, not at all. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Or temple the, law, right? No, no. Small town <laughs> yes. farm girl and just trying to keep that theme going all oh, the way that's, through. That's tremendous. So it was, I really enjoyed I had great experiences at both schools. What, 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 when you were in law school, mm -hmm. was there, were there certain things that uh, you were drawn to, or was it always criminal? It or was. as they say, crim. Well, to be honest with you, when I when I was in Grove City, my goal was to be a history teacher. That's oh, wow. what I wanted to do. I loved history, I loved researching, and then I took a constitutional law class, and that just that, changed that, my direction. Wow. And I really enjoyed talking, debating the law, researching, and so that led me to law school. And actually, I. Um, I loved international law when I was in law school. I took some criminal law classes, but uh -huh. it really wasn't uh, the main thing I was focusing on. Sure. And so after I left law school, my goal was to go back to Buffalo, actually, to practice international law. I lived in Buffalo and uh, to study for the bar, and I took the New York bar, passed the New York bar, and then just started sending out resumes and just didn't really find anything, I wasn't getting anything, and started, I thought, well, I know Erie. This is where we would come and come shopping. Sure, big Falcon, Erie trips right? to Falconer, we'd get in the car and come <laughs> out right. here to go to the big Erie Mall yeah. and shop. And I, so I sent some resumes over here, and I got a call at the end of 1997, fall of okay. 97 from Judge Conley, and wow. uh, asking if I wanted to come over and interview for a clerkship. Okay. So I called back and um, asked the judge, you know, are, are you near the mall? Because that's all we knew at the <laughs> <Right>. time. <laughs> and so he said no. He, he gave us directions. And, you know, my family now opened up to a whole new world of Erie. Yes. Going towards the lake. And um, I came here and he hired me and I stayed for three years. Mm. I was only supposed to do one year, but I loved the experience. I, I tell young attorneys, if you don't know what you want to do, and you have an opportunity to be a law clerk, do it. Because yes. you get to, you have that one-on-one -on -one with a judge. Right. You can see how they think, how they approach cases. You get to write opinions and have them what review was, it. Where was he uh, seated most of the time during that, that At era? At the time I was with him, I started in 98. Yeah. He was the administrative criminal law judge. Okay. And I believe Judge DeSantis was president judge at the time. Gotcha. I believe, but I, I know we did 
because I was there for three years, I got kind of both worlds because in the middle of my tenure as the clerk, he changed to family law. Okay. So I got to do, you know, the criminal law with him, and then I w we did the family law as well. But the best part of that was I was a law clerk and tip staff, meaning I was in the courtroom all the time, and I got to see all the attorneys, and I got to see how the trials work, and I got to interact with the jurors, which was really, really interesting, honestly, yes. to um, to have that contact with them. And I just, it was a great experience. Overall, I got everything I needed, and it's just invaluable. And he was such a great judge, too. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's where I really fell in love with criminal. Yeah. Uh, was that my time with uh, Judge Conley. And, and, I loved and the so trials. who hired you over at the DA's office? Well, after my three years, I, I did get an offer back in, um, and I should say during my time with Judge Conley, he encouraged me to take the PA bar. Mm -hmm. So I took the Pennsylvania bar, passed the bar, so I was a bar in both New York and PA. And I received an offer from a firm back in Jamestown. So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll try that out. And I, I did for a little bit, and then I realized it just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I missed Erie, I missed the courthouse, I missed criminal law. So at that time, Brad Folk okay. had just been elected. Sure. And so I called Brad and asked him if he had any openings, and he said he would keep me in mind. And at the end of, it would have been 2001, Judge Trusilla was in the office because he, had, he was running right. for judge. He had to leave the U.S. Attorney's office was in the DA's office mm -hmm. while he was running. He had been elected. He was a juvenile prosecutor, and that opened up for wow. me. And Brad said, asked if I wanted to come back, and I did in a heartbeat. So, so okay, uh, explain the DA's office as you have it configured now. Mm -hmm. How many ADAs are there? Like, how large of an office 16 is? 16 attorneys. 16, mm -hmm. wow. Yes, that's including me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah. and they have full dockets. Yes, but it's all crim, right? It's all, all criminal. criminal. All criminal. Yes, and about I did the stats. We about three thousand cases. Holy smokes! Year. So yes, and you know I just did arraignment this month, and everybody got about twenty-five to thirty cases, mm -hmm. um, and we have nine county detectives okay. as well yeah. that are in our office that help us out, and so yeah, it's, it's very busy. And um, Tell me about the difference of 2022 DA's office and the 2002 DA's uh, office, a 20-year difference. Like, were you an outlier as a female going into it, or was it already balancing out it at that point? It was pretty balanced out at that gotcha. point. And I, I can tell you, when I started, I was the juvenile prosecutor. Okay. So it was only me. As a juvenile prosecutor, we only had one, and um, I loved that experience. Um, I was actually our juvenile prosecutors. We have two now are actually with the juvenile department. They're not even on our floor, oh, I see. so it's good to have them right in with the probation officers because you know the juvenile probation, the juvenile system has a, a different goal. They have you know rehabilitation, and I just. I just have a passion for kids. I've always, back to my thinking mm -hmm. I was going to be a teacher, um, and so I really enjoyed that work and looking to see, you know, how can we help these kids, get them back on a different path. But I can tell you, when I was working those juveniles back then in 2002, much, much different than mm. the juveniles, the, the crimes you just, You're just talking about today. the actual crimes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, I were, mean, we have, they're getting less younger. less serious and, back mm -hmm. then. Wow. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, we've had the every 
you know, every tragic 14-year-old mm-hmm. shooting, what was that, 10 years ago or something like that, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or less. In, uh, I had in, that case. I did that oh, case, Oh, did you too. do that mm-hmm. case? Yeah, it's very tragic. Uh, the, the, the kid on the bike, mm-hmm. and, of mm-hmm. course, the, well, I don't know if it was 2015, Elizabeth, that Every everything seemed to peak here in the summer. Sixteen, I think sixteen, it was, with the I gun believe, violence right before, uh, you know, now Judge Piccinini, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, former prosecutor Piccinini, you know, formed Unified Erie yes. to try to bring bring Jack Deneary mm-hmm. in and and do something about the gun violence, right? Right. right. That, and they the that, Unified Erie thing. Yes, that's a very important, and that's you know, something that I want to make sure I carry on, all those mm-hmm. initiatives that Jack was part of, you know, Unified Erie, um, the gun working group, the, you know, strengthening police and community partnerships, all of that, so important to the community. And that's what, I, you know, that's why I really like as well in this role is just getting out in the community more, yeah. to understand that we're not just, our office is not just about, you know, prosecution and taking the cases into court. You know, we are public servants, we are, we are, we are to help you know, we don't want to do that. We want to be able to, it's not all enforcement, and that's part of the Unified Erie, too. They saw that it's that three-pronged approach. It's the prevention, the enforcement, the reentry. That, you know, to really try to help everything, everyone out that's involved in the process. Tell me how you uh, got your current role. Now, mm-hmm. uh, was this county council? Was it the judges? Uh, because you were not elected to this role, right, correct? Right, right. Um, this past year, there was a, a new law that the first assistant would automatically become the DA, but it did require the judge's, a judge's order, okay. and county council also did um, pass an ordinance as okay. well. So. so you'll be up next year for an election? 2023. 2023? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that, that'll be a new a turn for time. you to be yeah. a candidate. Yes, I've been behind <laughs> the scenes a very long time. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, watching, you know, Brad and, and Jack mm-hmm. run, so... Yeah, Talk exciting. about, uh, you, you mentioned off air that you've never uh, played the role mm-hmm. as defense. Correct. Uh, what, what's your thinking on all that? Well, I, I, even though I have not played that role, I think, uh, and, and I, I do credit our attorneys to, as well, even going into the case, it's not just, like I said, you know, can we put this person in jail? What's the most we can get out of this? It's really looking at, at everyone involved. You know, it's doing, as Brad Falk said, doing the right thing for the right reasons. Mm. And you really encourage our attorneys to do that. And so when you're saying we didn't, you know, I never was a defense attorney, but you, I believe you have to look at every case from every side. You know, how can, how can you know, sometimes no, it is about punishment all the right, way. But right. sometimes you want to step back and think, okay, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Mm. You know, that's, and, and, and how, who do we need to help? How can we help them? You know, our treatment courts, you know, we look at that the very vet's important, court. vet's court, yeah. treatment court, very important programs yeah. to, to make sure there's accountability. We have to have that accountability and obviously, you know, try to make the victim whole and obviously take their um, interest into account. But also on the other side, you know, how do we make sure this person, the offender, what's going on there? How do we help and make sure that that does not happen again? What does the general public need to know about crime in 2022? You kind of kind of uh, re, uh, refer to it. it's different even in the juvie uh, side of things. But is there such a thing as a criminal element? Is that an old, that's an old phrase, yeah. you know, that's something like my dad would say, the criminal element, right? Mm-hmm. 
it, is that that's not a uh, that's not a certainly a popular or politically correct thing to say anymore. I would think. Well, I think the public needs to know. Like what I was saying is how we're approaching yeah. everything. You know what we're what we're looking at, how we're approaching the crimes, uh, looking at the the whole picture. Yeah. Um, but as a crime in and of itself, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, as you look at the arc of history or even recent history, it seems like it's much more violent, much more violent, much yes. more uh, coming from really drugs, mm-hmm. and much more uh, in, enabled or by mental illness, like you yes. were referring to. Yes. You have treatment court or whatever. Um, but then there's then there's domestics. Then there's like this whole other thing that's going on, which could also be drug and drug related and so Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, you know, with and and we're you know we're we're going to be addressing that with the our domestic violence initiative okay. that we have coming, and that came out of a group uh, about two years ago, I believe, in 2019. Um, the Domestic Violent Action Alliance, and it's a group of people, our office, law enforcement, healthcare providers, and um, social service agencies came together just to try to figure out a way to better respond to these cases. I think mm-hmm. that was the time when there was like seven domestic homicides in 18, wow. 2018. So it was response to that, just the number, because this was not just your domestic violence where there's an argument and the police go to the door. I mean, they were resulting in homicides. Yes. So how do we better respond to that? And we're working, you know, with our new initiative. We have an ADA that's devoted to- solely to domestic violence. That's all he's going to do. And so it's very data-driven, very much like the unified Erie, and it's going to be a situation where, you know, the, when the officers arrive on scene, they're going to have phones. They're going to have phones. Um, received a grant from the Hammett um, Health Health Foundation, and we were able to get the phones. And on the phones, um, we have a lethality assessment protocol. Okay. So there are questions to ask. It's not just a matter of anymore just showing up saying what's going on. I mean, there's really like to get the data from. Where are these offenses happening? What type is happening? They're asked, is a weapon involved? Um, does this person have a gun? Has this happened before? And if you score a certain way on this lethality assessment program, then they're going to help the victim um, get in touch with social services. Use this phone. You can use this phone to call and see if you need to go to a shelter. So this is an additional layer to law yes. enforcement, mm-hmm. or it, even if they have, what was it, the Quebec unit that yes. goes yes. Uh, mm-hmm. from the city. So your ADA, your assistant uh, district attorney, could actually be a part of that um, the response team. Yes, that information is going to be sent right to him. Wow. And they're configuring the phone so my ADA will get the data from the uh, lethality assessment protocol, excuse me, and then as will the um, SafeNet. And SafeNet will then be able to look and see the risk, and if that person calls, try to get them the services. And I think it's just more engaging right away because I've worked with victims. I've done the child abuse cases since 2004, and I just know how important it is to engage the victims right away, if you can, to let them know that they're not alone. Because if you just go to a call and leave, you know, yeah. you haven't given them those resources. And let them know that they're not alone, they have resources, they have people to help them. They may not take it, 
but mm. they may. So we do as much as we can, and, and our ADA will be able to track that, to track that data to see, okay, where, um, where are the places where there's most uh, reoffense, and what's happening in these locations. And so it's going to – I'm very excited about it. Um, this great group has worked on it for two years, and now so we get to launch it. But um, I, I really hope it helps with the domestic violence because sometimes, like, I, like you said, you know, we've got the gun violence, obviously very big focus, but yeah. there's so many other things that we also need to approach in a similar manner. And we are. We're doing the data, obviously the evidence base with the Unified Erie and the reduction in gun violence, and we can now use that for domestic, domestic violence. I want to ask you, we have a, a District Attorney Elizabeth Hertz with us here on the Joel Natale Show. I want to ask you a, a question I asked of Judge Trusilla just a couple weeks ago of, um, you know, some people are just looking at crime in Erie mm -hmm. and saying, it's out of control. Yeah. I, again, I think about last week with the Airbnb uh, mm -hmm. inhabited by these, mm -hmm. and we keep on finding suspects, right? Mm -hmm. But inhabited by these people from out of town here to do no good right. and by selling really awful drugs in our area. And again, they, they had some kind of a, some, some kind of a lead here that was going to be the local distributor, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so how do you, as the DEA, reassure the community that, no, 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 We're, we are doing all we can to keep crime under control, and we will prosecute to, uh, to the best of our ability. Absolutely, and, and we do have that, and we have the gun working group. We have, you know, the officers that are getting this intel, and they're sharing local, federal, county. So the agencies are sharing this information, probation, parole. So it's not as though they're just waiting to see what happens. Yeah. They're out there, they're proactive, and they're, and yes, absolutely being very tough. As I stated earlier, there are the crimes there are, that you don't, yeah. <laughs> you go into punish and you're, you're right. at the time, you're in court and you're pounding your fist saying, this has got to stop, this person goes to jail, we've got to protect our community. And law enforcement is on, is on it. And, and, and let me, let me ask you the other side of it mm -hmm. now, because there's been a lot of scrutiny on the district attorney's office about charging decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we had in, I guess it is 2021, maybe 2020, we had at least three cases where it was decided to charge um, individuals with first-degree murder mm -hmm. when, when it was even to the casual viewer, it looked like these were self-defense cases, mm -hmm. yet several of, a couple of them were a first degree murder charge, you know, no chance for bail, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so you have this, they have this accused, you know, percolating a county, and then they come to, they come to the, in front of a jury and they're acquitted. Right. right. Can you explain how that all works? Well, we have a when we look at the cases and assess the cases and, and the facts that are presented to us, and we charge accordingly, and I think in those cases we have to remember these cases went through a preliminary hearing. So a magisterial district judge said, yes, Commonwealth, you've met your prima facie probable cause to, to, to meet your burden of proof on the first degree homicide. 
pretrial hearings where there might be a challenge to the evidence, asking the evidence to be thrown out, omnibus uh, motions. Court of Common Pleas Judge, Commonwealth, you've met your burden. You can go forward to a jury. So, you know, kind of verifying that we, we've made this decision and Magisterial District Judge, Court of Common Pleas Judge feels that we have made a decision, we have charges that can go to a jury. Now, if we didn't meet our burden of proof at a jury, that's, that's 12 people who heard the case as they, you know, that's how the system works. They heard the case, they just didn't feel that we met our burden of proof. I don't think that necessarily means that we charged wrong. We just, do, it's, do our, you, it's our belief that how we charged is yeah. appropriate. It fit the facts of the case. Do you hear, though, the, the criticism oh, yes, yes. of saying, why, you know, why does, let's just, let's just be plain here. Why does this white guy who shoots somebody outside mm -hmm. of a strip joint get second degree and bail? Right. Right. And this this elderly woman who knifes the guy that's attacking her daughter gets first degree and no bail. Right. Well, I, I think it has to remember too that our office fought against that bail. In yeah. Oh, in for the, the in the, in yes. the, in yeah, the so first. So it's not time. as though oh, right, we went right, in right. and said, "Sure, judge, go right ahead." <laughs> we fought against that, and gotcha. uh, the two attorneys that are on that case fought very hard. Um, because Do you feel it was like it was just degree. like a, a time period where we just had a lot of kind of tough, tough choices or what? I don't know. I, I, I can't speak yeah. to that other than the fact that we were, we fought that very hard to, yeah. to keep him in jail, but the judge felt that he should be given bond. Interesting. So there was no, we, that was a, con that was a consistent argument in our office the, for every case. So for as, every, for as, every first degree case, sure. I should say, yes. I just want to make sure I'm staying on time here. When you look at our system here in Erie County, is the judicial system just? I believe so. Yes, yeah. I think it is. I, I, I believe it is. I, I believe we have, um, it's, it's, supposed, it, it's how it's supposed to look. And unfortunately, sometimes when you see, you know, you see the results, but you, sure. you haven't seen the process. And if you sat through the process, I mean, I'm, I'm curious sometimes how the jurors feel after because, mm -hmm. you know, they're the ones that have actually sat there and seen everything. They haven't, you know, read the article after the fact. Right. And so I believe it is. Everybody, you know, has their day in court yeah. and has their opportunity to put on their case as well. And, um, and then the jury decides as they see fit. You know, some days we meet our burden and sometimes they, they don't think we have. Do you feel that victims are being taken care of well here in Erie? I believe so, yes. And I'm very victim-driven. I'm, I'm very passionate about the victims. I, <laughs> I, I, as I stated, the type of cases I've done for a very long time, and I, I believe our office is very good at making sure the victims are taken care of and they're heard. And that's the most important thing, you know, that we can't always give them exactly what they want, but as long as they know at the end of the day we've tried our best, and that they've been heard. I, a lot of that is sitting down with them and talking and explaining everything yeah. that's going on because, you know, they're the ones, they their their lives have been impacted in such a, a way mm -hmm. that they have to have a say. And uh, we make sure, you know, they're, they're there at sentencing if they want to speak. And especially with my cases, I never, ever forced anybody to go forward. I mean, those were mm -hmm. such sensitive cases and they, they always had a say in how we would resolve the case. 
we have to leave it there. Thank okay. you so, so much. Thank District you. Attorney Elizabeth Hertz here on The Joel Natale Show. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>